Have you ever had to face a dilemma before? You, you know a dilemma is, is when you have two conflicting values or two character traits that are somewhat at odds with one another and, and you don't know, should I, go, should I go make more money? Should I go on the road? Should, should I stay home with family? That's a dilemma, right? Should, should I study more uh, or should I play more? Do I want good grades? Do I want better friends? I, I, you know, there's these things called dilemmas. Can't have your cake and eat it too. How old were you when you figured that out? You know, you can't have your cake. And, for the longest time, I didn't know what that meant as a little kid. I'm like, what do you mean? How can you have your cake and eat it too? Well, that's the exact point. You can't have it both ways. And today, we're going to just do a little bit of con context. To, to get us to Sunday morning, okay? Can, can you give me that liberty? Just get some context. God had a dilemma because of who he is when he kicked, and he did, he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden and said, we cannot let them have access to the tree of life. Otherwise, they're going to live in eternal separation from me. So he did the most gracious thing. But here are the two conflicting values, if you want to say, that God's dilemma has. He wants to be with us, and yet he has to kick us out because of sin coming into the world and separation. And so it really sets up the question, why, why did there have to be a cross? Here are the two attributes that we're going to look at, and here's the first fill in the blank. The first one is this. God is holy. He is just holy. And those are his one of his unchanging attributes. The other one is that he, he is love. But we'll get to that in a second. But these two unchangeable characteristics of God almost seem to be in conflict with one another when he wants to be with us. So why the cross? Well, first of all, God is holy. From Genesis to Revelation, we hear holy, 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 right? Amen. When God uh, reveals himself to any of the prophets, what do they do? They drop to their face because their whole, his holiness is so overwhelming. See, that's the thing about holiness. This is the best analogy. I mean, maybe I could have come up with a better analogy, but think of darkness as sin or sinful man, and God as sunlight. The very nature of sunlight does what to darkness? Takes over. Takes over. Yeah. Makes darkness just disappear, right? Mm -hmm. How then can unholy man be near a holy God? That's a dilemma, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Oh man, he, he just is holy. He can't help. No matter if he says, well, I'll, I'd like to just forgive everybody. and just Everybody gets to go to heaven. No, wait. His holiness says sin can't be in heaven. Are you with me on that? Because if God allows sin in heaven, then all we've done is earth 2.0, right? We're just on another version because it's not perfect here. And so God, God is holy. And why is he holy? He is the creator and we are the creature. See, even if I use a lousy analogy from ant to human, human is just a higher life form, right? The creator is above that. 
You, you can't even use that analogy because it breaks down so quickly. God is separated out from his creation. He is never ending. He is before time. Before anything existed, he already was existing. He is the great I am. Now, if you were to take Revelation a little more literal, and I don't suggest that you do because otherwise you'll get messed up. But you know what sin does to a holy God? Jesus says, oh, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I want to what? Makes him sick. Our sin makes God sick. So, he has a dilemma, doesn't he? Ah! But John tells us God is love. Everything he does from his being is a loving action, believe it or not. Everything he does is a loving action. And so, the very next fill in the blank is God is love. God is love. From Genesis to Revelation, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting, eternal life. And so God, God, when he sees man, he wants to rescue him. That's his love. But when a holy God sees man, he says, I've got to punish them. Two conflicting values, it seems like. Right? Man. 100% holy and 100% love. So there's this tension they have to harmonize. We know they harmonize, don't we? We know they harmonize. Let's be honest. The world can, can wrap themselves around God's love, right? Love, 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 love wins. Love, 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 love. And totally forget the holiness of God, right? They don't have any problem understanding God's love. Can he just, he's just going to look the other way. No, he's just going to wink at sin. You know, boys will be boys, girls will be... Well, I can't even say that these days. Boys will be boys and girls will be girls. Right? So it's all going to be okay. But let me say this. A holy God must hate sin. Amen. Because if he doesn't hate sin, then he's going to allow sin to come in and ruin everything. Mm. Yeah. Everything. And if a holy God does not hate sin, then he's not trustworthy. And he's not righteous. And that means he'll play favorites. And that means all the things that it means. See, he can't sweep sin under the rug. Or pretend it doesn't exist. Because he's holy, it means he's just. And if he's just, then there are consequences to people's actions. Amen. Early on in the nation of Israel... When God had pulled them out of Egypt, in Exodus it says this, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious one, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There's that God is, God is love. It says, Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. But he does not leave the guilty go unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generations. Now, part of God's dilemma is us. Good old man, we're created perfect. We, you know, when God got done, he said, boy, this is good. This is very good, right? Declared it to be good. 
But then our rebellion brought in this, this thing, this, this sin. And if God is only holy towards us, we're, we're done. We're toast. We're, we're gone, right? We're sunlight and darkness. We're gone. Uh, not because he wants to. It's just that that's who he is. And, but if God is only love, well, then we've got problems too, right? And so there's only one way this can be solved. And you already know what it is, right? It's the cross. It's the cross. There's only one solution. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son to redeem those under the law so that we could be declared righteous and be adopted into his kingdom. You know, a few days before Jesus, Jesus was on the cross, he said some pretty important things about this, this topic, this solution to the dilemma. Number one was this. John, he says, Father, I've come into this world. Should I now say, save me from this hour? And later on, he, he says in the upper room, he goes, for this reason, I came into the world to accomplish the work. And then later on, he's going to be in the garden. He's going to be sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, let this what? Cup pass. Wow. Hour, work, cup. But what does he say? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. And you know what happens next? Judas and the guards arrive. Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss. Good old Peter, he grabs a sword, takes a swing, cuts off somebody's ear. Jesus, Jesus said, this is enough. Heals the guy, Malchus. And then they have a mock trial in the middle of the night. They pull everybody, just like they do in Washington. They know who's the way they're going to vote, so they only pull the people in that they know they're going to get the vote for. They didn't pull in Joseph of Arimathea, I don't think so, or Nicodemus. Because they're already like, wait, what are, we, what are we doing here? And so they have this junk mock trial. They condemn him. They send him over to Pilate. Pilate is washing his hands. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then the crowd turns because of the leadership. Hey, this guy declares to be a king. And if you don't do something about it, then you're no friend of Caesar, Pilate. And Pilate's Wife freaks out, comes, says, don't have anything to do with this man. But what does Pilate do? He has him crucified. He has him crucified. Why the cross? The cross was the only solution to a holy and loving God's dilemma. That's that fill in the blank. God the Son pays for our sins so his holiness doesn't destroy us, so that we can be in his presence and covered by the blood of Jesus, so that now he can just lavish us with his love. Praise God. Hallelujah. Woo-hoo. Amen. Man, I didn't have to do anything except for bow the knee and claim Jesus, right? And God's holiness is perfect and God's love is perfect. And they harmonize beautifully together that God gave himself. Amen. Now, it's Friday. Jesus is dead. It's three o'clock. And the 11 disciples, what's going on in their head? They don't know this. 
See, we look at it after the fact and go, oh yeah, God is holy, that's why there had to be a cross, and God is loving, and that's why there had to be a cross. They didn't get that on Friday afternoon at 3 p.m. They don't understand. I would say that they're in despair. I would be, wouldn't you? Despair is really an immobilizing state of, of mind. Their dreams, dead. Their Messiah, dead. Their future, can I sit on this throne? Can I sit on, doesn't matter now, it's dead. Their hope, dead. Emotional darkness just came flooding in, didn't it? It would for you. And they're drowning in it. Here's the definition of despair. It is to lose all hope or confidence. And despair leads to depression, inability to concentrate, insomnia, loss of appetite, feelings of extreme sadness, helplessness, and hopelessness, and you have suicidal thoughts. That's what despair does to a person. Maybe the religious leaders were right. Maybe Jesus faked these miracles. Maybe, maybe we had it wrong for three and a half years. Maybe Jesus just fooled us and, and we were so caught up in the moment that, that we just didn't emotionally and rationally think through all of this. You know what they were in? They were in the first stages of grief. And what is that? Shock and denial. That's the first stage of grief. These guys are heavy in grief. They can't get their head wrapped around it. How could the Son of God be dead? How could God be murdered? How could this have happened? They can't find a solution, can they? Mm -hmm. So Joseph of Arimathea, as well as Nicodemus, forced by the setting of the sun, they go to Pilate, and they ask permission to take the body down about 75 pounds of spices and aloe and, and linen cloth. They wrap Jesus up as best as men know how, I guess. And they put him in a new tomb no one's ever been laid in. Jewish leaders are concerned that the disciples who have scattered, they're not even around to help with the burial. You think about that. When your loved one dies, when your mom and dad died, or when your brother or sister died, did you run away? But these guys ran away because they thought they were next. Joseph of Arimathea showed some real chutzpah along with Nicodemus going to Pilate, putting it on record that we want to take care of Jesus. So they wrap him up. Now, I don't know if the women already knew this that they had, but, the, but they saw where Jesus was laid. But where are the disciples? We don't know. We do know this, that they scattered because it fulfilled prophecy. Mm -hmm. Now, if you were Peter and you had denied him within the last 24 hours, and you're thinking to yourself what? Had I stood up, would things be different? I promised Jesus I would never leave him and I would go to the death for him. Mm -hmm. And at the first sign I bail, and I bet you Peter is overwhelmed with guilt. Are, are you with me on that? Because he's yeah. like, wait, had I stood up, I could have done something. He couldn't have. 
But he didn't know that at this moment in time. So he goes out and he was weeping bitterly. I don't know, it's been a long time since I've wept bitterly and I don't enjoy it. And I know you probably have had to weep bitterly when you've had a great tra tragic loss in your life. And the very core of your being is shaken. The very soul, the very spirit of you mm -hmm. cannot be touched. And you are weak. That's Peter. That's where he's at. We know that they were downcast because on the road to Emmaus, we find two disciples, not of the 11, but they're two disciples and they are so downcast. Here's the very first fill in the blank for point one. The hearts of the disciples they were empty. They're afraid, they're alone, they're in hiding, they're in despair, they're in hopelessness, they're in depression. Darkness seems to have triumphed. You know, we don't like our government that much. I tell you what, at this moment in time, the apostles did not like their government very much. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership, man, if they could have got them in a back alley, I'm sure what they would have done but they're scared of them. How can we even make it through today? How can we make it through Saturday? Do, do you just resign to surrender? Do you just give in to apathy? Do you just pick up your bags and go back to your fishing life? What do you do? You're miles away from home, and yet you can't even walk home because you're such stricken with grief. You know that the disciples aren't the only ones that have ever had to deal with despair. Have you ever had to deal with despair? Depression? Loneliness? You've been there too. And sometimes that emptiness is so is so hollow inside you'll take anything of the flesh to fill it. Alcohol? Drugs? Sex? Because just to feel numb would be refreshing the pain is so deep despair that's what these guys were at their hearts were empty it's saturday night it's after sabbath so now the stores are back open the women they go they buy the supplies they need to finish the job joseph and nicodemus had started the women go to the tomb early in the morning and you know what they're carrying the spices they're talking to each other who's going to roll away the stone suddenly an angel is there and they're like why are you here bubs <laughs> i mean what a glorious moment if you could recreate it in your mind the angels tell him he has risen Amen. go tell the disciples the tomb is empty. And they go, they drop their spices. I'm assuming they're trying to drop their spices. And they hightail it and they burst into their secret location and tell them, Jesus' body isn't there. We saw an angel. He's risen. And what do the men typically do? Do what? You didn't believe them. But they convince John and Peter to go, at least. So out of the 11, two, I don't even know what the percentages are, but you can do the math, two, go. Of course, John outruns Peter. John looks in. All of a sudden, Peter rushes back past him and charges into the tomb, and, and they see the cocoon that Jesus was in. 
you don't just 75 pounds of, of aloe and wrappings just doesn't evaporate and disappear. Peter doesn't know what's going on and he, he's shaking his head. But John records that he saw the cocoon and believed. He believed. The hearts of the disciples were empty, but then, and here's the next fill in the blank, but then the tomb was empty. Mary comes back. I don't know, maybe it's 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. People start working. She sees a guy. She thinks it's the gardener. And she's distraught. And she's like, where have you laid my Lord? And then Jesus says, Mary. First person that Jesus speaks to is a woman. Which is just cool. And then he says something even cooler. He says, go tell my brothers that I'm alive. Amen. Wow. First time ever in scripture that Jesus calls us believers brothers. Amen. Go tell your brothers I am alive. Amen. I am risen. Oh, man. Now we're going to pick up our text. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Go to John. John chapter 20. We can pick it up at verse 18 of John chapter 20. Where it says, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And then on the evening of that day, verse 19, the first day of the week, it's like they're having a church service. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, because apparently the shock and awe was too much shock and a little too much awe, he had to repeat himself again. Peace be with you. Why? I think they were troubled. They couldn't get their head wrapped around who they were looking at because it's impossible. How could Jesus come back from the dead? It's impossible. And there Jesus was. And he had to tell him twice, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. We'll just stop right there. And I, I want to tell you, in a moment, we're going to find out that Thomas is not in the room. So out of the 11 that are left, there's 10 of the apostles. And he shows up, and here's the corollary. Where's, where's Thomas? If you miss the gathering, you miss Jesus. Amen. 
This is really the first church service Amen. happening on Sunday evening. And if you miss church, you're going to miss Jesus because that's exactly what happened to Thomas. He missed Jesus because he didn't back gather with the body of Christ. Wow. When we choose to stay away from, from fellowship and, and from church, from biblical community, you're going to miss what Jesus is doing and Jesus showing up. So let's go on in our text, and it says, Now Thomas, 24, one of the twelve, called the twin, or Didymus, and, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, and I want you to see this double negative, Unless I see, that's the first negative, his hands the mark of the nails in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, second negative, I will never believe. Double negative, saying no until I have actual proof and put my hand in his side and in the nail print. Talk about a bold statement. Sometimes we tell Jesus things that afterwards we say, oh, why did I say that, right? Because <laughs> Thomas is going to get called on the carpet here in a moment. Now, eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, The only appropriate way, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet choose to believe. Amen. Here's the, the third fill in the blank. Amen. Sadly, Thomas was still empty. For 10 days, Thomas was still in despair. See, the, the, the other 10, they had seen Jesus and they were no longer in despair. They're like, rock on. In fact, the, the word said in, in this text that we just read, it meant that the other 10 kept constantly telling Thomas for the next eight days, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. And yet he refused to believe. But what did he have then? He had emptiness. He had despair. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of ironic, and God has a sense of humor. Say, yes, God has a sense of humor. He does. Thomas's other name is twin, but we never meet his twin. You know what? I've met his twin. I've been his twin. I have doubted sometimes. I have disbelieved sometimes. And then I've said things, and then God overwhelmingly slacks, smacks me upside of the head and shows me how alive he is. And I repent. Amen. I repent. Yes. Now, what does this all mean? Here's, here's my favorite line in the whole sermon. The empty tomb was full of hope. 
The tomb wasn't empty. It was actually full of hope. Someone said you can live 40 days without food, eight days without water. You can, your brain can go anywhere from four to eight minutes without oxygen, right? How long can you live in despair? Not very long. How long can you live without hope? You can't. It just, it withers you away. Hebrews 11.1, 1, so famous. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Later on, we're told that we walk by faith and not by sight. In 1 Peter, it says this, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Man, that tomb was full. Amen. It was full of angels and it was full of hope. First Peter, he goes on and says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Man, I love that Peter's writing to us. You've never seen Jesus, but you still love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled Amen. with glory because the tomb is full Amen. of hope. Amen. Man, Thank you, faith in Thank Jesus you. brings hope when all other human hope is gone. Amen. Right? Yeah. Your, your Savior lives. Your Redeemer lives. Amen. Your fortress is strong. Your rock is immovable. Your King is coming. Amen. Man, Amen. your Messiah isn't in a tomb. He's riding a horse and he's charging forward. Yes. He is our fortress. He is our rock. He is our strength. He is the one that still saves today. Throughout the world, somebody's going to live forever because they're going to give their life to Christ. Because they've understood this simple message that God had a dilemma. And out of his great love and great holiness, he nailed himself to a cross so that we could be in his presence again. And what is so simple but to accept the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus by calling him Lord. And letting him remake you. Make you that new creation in Christ. Man, the shepherd, he still leads, doesn't he? He still protects. The lion of Judah still roars. Man, the ground began to shake. Man, that's so exciting. People, unfortunately, in the world live a lot of emptiness and they try to stuff that emptiness stuff it down oh they chase so many different things and that's where that we find the disciples but boy their Friday turned into Sunday right Amen. and the emptiness they saw suddenly was filled with great joy and hope I want to show you a, a little bridge uh, I think that's in my next slide yeah this is the cross. That's the only thing that can move a person from despair to hope. And that is the cross of Christ. Amen. That is Jesus. The only bridge that will work. The empty tomb is more than an empty tomb. It is the bridge of life. Amen. The empty tomb isn't where dreams die. But the empty tomb is where dreams come alive, right? That's Amen. that next fill in the blank. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Faith brought hope, trust, 
brought healing. Oh, obedience brought reconciliation. And joy came in the morning. Man, Amen. that is so exciting. Do you know anybody in despair? Maybe you yourself are in despair and you just hide it real well. Maybe you've been in a dilemma trying to decide, do I do this, do I not do this? And you just have to say, Spirit, lead me. Lead me to transformation. Lead me to the joy. Jesus says so many paradoxical things. You want to be first, you've got to be what? Last. You want to save your life, you have to what? Lose your life. Oh, man. The kingdom living is so counterintuitive to the way the world has brought you up that appeals to your flesh. And that's when you say, that doesn't work anymore. And I only need Jesus. Amen. That's all I need is I need Jesus. Amen. Why? Because he's alive. Amen. Father God, in your powerful name we come before you. It's not a magical word. It is the life that was lived and shown and revealed to us that gave his life that we might have life. Amen. Father, you have served us and we Amen. now serve you. We give and pledge our lives anew to you on the holiest of holidays where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know it's not a myth. We know it is real because you have spoken Amen. it. We have the witnesses. We have reliable documents. And we have the testimony of the Spirit that testifies to us. Let us never be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. First to the Jew and then the Greek. We love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. amen.